Fully 10% were in the densest type of star cluster, globular clusters, yet such clusters make up only 0.1% of the Milky Way stars. For some reason, they contain a wildly disproportionate number of X-ray sources. To express the mystery in a different way, consider what produces such X-ray sources. Each is thought to be a pair of stars, one of which has died and collapsed into a neutron star or a black hole. The X star cannibalizes its partner, and in doing so heats the gas to such high temperatures that it releases X-rays. Such morbid couplings are rare. The simultaneous evolution of two newborn stars in a binary system succeeds in producing a luminous X-ray binary just once in a billion tries. What is it about globulars that overcomes these odds? It dawned on astronomers that the crowded conditions in globulars could be the deciding factor. A million stars are crammed into a volume a few dozen light years across. An equivalent volume near the sun would accommodate only a hundred stars. Like bees in a swarm, these stars move on ever-changing orbits. Lower-mass stars tend to be ejected from the cluster as they pick up energy during close encounters with more massive single and double stars, a process referred to as evaporation because it resembles the escape of molecules from the surface of a liquid. The remaining stars, having lost energy, concentrate closer to the cluster center. Given enough time, the tightly packed stars will begin to collide. Even in a globular, the average distance between stars is much larger than the stars themselves. But Jack G. Hills and Carol A. Day, both then at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, showed in 1975 that the probability of impact is not a simple matter of a star's physical cross-section. Because the stars in a globular cluster move in a lackadaisical, by cosmic standards, 10 to 20 kilometers a second, gravity has plenty of time to act during close encounters. Without gravity, two stars can hit only if they are aimed directly at each other. With gravity, each star pulls on the other, deflecting its path. The stars are transformed from ballistic missiles with a preset flight path into guided missiles that home in on their target. A collision becomes up to 10,000 times more likely. In fact, half the stars in the central regions of some globular clusters have probably undergone one or more collisions over the past 13 billion years. Around the same time, Andrew C. Fabian, James E. Pringle, and Martin J. Rees of the University of Cambridge suggested that a grazing collision or a very near miss could cause two isolated stars to pair up. Normally, a close encounter of two celestial bodies is symmetrical. They approach, gather speed, swing past each other, and, unless they make contact, fly apart. But if one is a neutron star or a black hole, its intense gravity can contort the other, sapping some of its kinetic energy and preventing it from escaping a process known as tidal capture. The neutron star or black hole proceeds to feast on its ensnared prey, spewing x-rays. If the close encounter involves not two, but three stars, it is even more likely to produce an x-ray binary. The dynamics of three bodies is notoriously complex and sometimes chaotic. The stars usually redistribute their energy in such a way that the two most massive ones pair up and the third gets flung away. The typical situation involves a loner neutron star that comes a little too close to an ordinary binary pair. 
One of the ordinary stars in the binary is cast off, and the neutron star takes its place, producing an X-ray source. The bottom line is that three-body dynamics and tidal capture lead to a 1,000-fold increase in the rate at which X-rays form in globular clusters, neatly solving the puzzle raised by Uhuru. Crash Scene What happens when two stars smack into each other? As in a collision involving two vehicles, the outcome depends on several factors, the speed of the colliding objects, their internal structures, and the impact parameter, which specifies whether the collision is head-on or a sideswipe. Some incidents are fender benders, some are total wrecks, and some fall in between. Higher velocity and head-on collisions are the best at converting kinetic energy into heat and pressure, making for a total wreck. Although astronomers rely on supercomputers to study collisions in detail, a few simple principles govern the overall effect. Most important is the density contrast. A higher density star will suffer much less damage than a tenuous one, just as a cannonball is barely marked as it blows a watermelon to shreds. A head-on collision between a sun-like star and a vastly denser star, such as a white dwarf, was first studied in the 1970s and 1980s by me and my colleagues, Jora Shaviv and Oded Regev, both then at Tel Aviv University and now at the Technion Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa. Whereas the sun-like star is annihilated, the white dwarf, being 10 million times as dense, gets away with only a mild warming of its outermost layers. Except for an anomalously high surface abundance of nitrogen, the white dwarf should appear unchanged. The dwarf is less able to cover its tracks during a grazing collision, as first modeled by me, Regev, Noam Soker of the University of Haifa at Oranim and the University of Virginia, and Mario Livio of the Space Telescope Science Institute. The disrupted sun-like star could form a massive disk in orbit around the dwarf. No such disks have yet been shown to exist, but astronomers might be mistaking them for mass-transferring binary stars in star clusters. When colliding stars are of the same type, density, and size, a very different sequence of events occurs. The case of two sun-like stars was first simulated in the early 1970s by Alastair G.W. Cameron, then at Yeshiva University and now at the University of Arizona, and Frederick G.P. Seidel of the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies. As the initially spherical stars increasingly overlap, they compress and distort each other into half-moon shapes. Temperatures and densities never climb high enough to ignite disruptive thermonuclear burning, as a few percent of the total mass squirts out perpendicular to the direction of stellar motion, the rest mixes together. Within an hour, the two stars have fused into one. It is much more likely that two stars will collide somewhat off-axis than exactly head-on. It is also more likely that they will have slightly different rather than identical masses. This general case has been studied in detail by Willie Benz of the University of Bern in Switzerland, Frederick A. Rossio of Northwestern University, James C. Lombardi of Vassar College, and their collaborators. It is a beautiful mating dance that ends in the perpetual union of the two stars. The object that results is fundamentally different from an isolated star such as our sun. An isolated star has no way of replenishing its initial allotment of fuel. Its lifespan is preordained. 
The more massive the star is, the hotter it is and the faster it burns itself out. Given a star's color, which indicates its temperature, computer models of energy production can predict its lifespan with high precision. But a coalesced star does not follow the same rules. Mixing of the layers of gas during the collision can add fresh hydrogen fuel to the core with a rejuvenating effect rather like tossing twigs on a dying campfire. Moreover, the object, being more massive than its progenitors, will be hotter, bluer, and brighter. Observers who look at the star and use its color and luminosity to deduce its age will be wrong. For instance, the sun has a total lifespan of 10 billion years, whereas a star its mass is 10 times brighter and lasts only 800 million years. Therefore, if two sun-like stars merge halfway through their lives, they will form a single hot star that is 5 billion years old at the moment of its creation, but looks like it must be younger than 800 million years. The lifetime remaining to this massive fused star depends on how much hydrogen fuel was thrown to its center by the collision. Usually, this lifetime will be much shorter than that of each of its parents. Even in death, the star distinguishes itself when it dies by swelling to become a giant red, a planetary nebula, and finally a white dwarf, it will be much hotter than other older white dwarfs of similar mass. Got the blues. In a globular cluster, massive merged stars will stand out conspicuously. All the members of a globular are born at roughly the same time. Their temperature and brightness evolve in lockstep. But a coalesced star is out of sync. It looks preternaturally young, surviving when others of equal brightness and color have passed on. The presence of such stars in the cores of dense star clusters is one of the most compelling predictions of stellar collision theory. As it happens, Alan R. Sandage of the Carnegie Institution of Washington discovered in the early 1950s that globular clusters contain anomalously hot and bright stars called blue stragglers, over the years, researchers have advanced a dozen or so theories of their origin, but it is only in the past decade that the Hubble Space Telescope has provided strong evidence of a link with collisions. In 1991, Francesco Pareschi, George Myland, and I, all then at the Space Telescope Science Institute, found that the very center of the globular cluster 47 Tucani is crammed with blue stragglers exactly where collision theory predicted they should exist in greatest number. Six years later, David Zurich of the Space Telescope Science Institute, Rex A. Saffer of Villanova University and I, carried out the first direct measurement of the mass of a blue straggler in a globular cluster. It has approximately twice the mass of the most massive ordinary stars in the same cluster, as expected if stellar coalescence is responsible. Saffer and his colleagues have found another blue straggler to be three times as massive as any ordinary star in its cluster. Astronomers know of no other way than a collisional merger to manufacture such a heavy object in this environment. We are now measuring the masses and dozens of spins of blue stragglers. Meanwhile, observers are also looking for other predicted effects of collisions. For instance, S. George Jorgowski of the California Institute of Technology and his colleagues have noted a decided lack of red giant stars near the cores of globular clusters. 
Red giants have cross-sections thousands of times as large as the sun's, so they are unusually big targets. Their dearth is naturally explained by collisions, which would strip away their outer layers and transform the stars into a different breed. To be sure, all this evidence is circumstantial. Definitive proof is harder to come by. The average time between collisions and the 150 globular clusters of the Milky Way is about 10,000 years. In the rest of our galaxy, it is billions of years. Only if we are extraordinarily lucky will a direct collision occur close enough, say, within a few million light years, to permit today's astronomers to witness it with present technology. The first real-time detection of a stellar collision may come from the gravitational wave observatories that are now starting to observe. Close encounters between stellar mass objects could lead to distortions of the space-time continuum. The signal is especially strong for colliding black holes or neutron stars. Such events have been implicated by the enormous energy releases associated with gamma-ray bursts. Collisions are already proving crucial to understanding globulars and other celestial bodies. Computer simulations suggest that the evolution of clusters is controlled largely by tightly bound binary systems, which exchange energy and angular momentum with the cluster as a whole. Clusters can dissolve altogether as near collisions fling stars out one by one. Piet Hutt of the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey, and Allison Sills of McMaster University in Ontario have argued that stellar dynamics and stellar evolution regulate each other by means of subtle feedback loops. The fates of planets whose parent stars undergo close encounters is another recent addition to the topic of stellar collisions. Numerical simulations by Jared R. Hurley of the American Museum of Natural History in New York City show that the planets often fare badly, cannibalized by their parent star or one of their planetary siblings, set adrift within the star cluster, or even ejected from the cluster and doomed to tramp through interstellar space. Recent Hubble observations by Rob Gilliland of the Space Telescope Science Institute and his colleagues suggest that stars in a nearby globular cluster do indeed lack Jupiter-sized planets, although the cause of this deficiency is not yet known for sure. Despite the outstanding questions, the progress in this field has been astonishing. The very idea of stellar collisions was once absurd. Today, it is central to many areas of astrophysics. The apparent tranquility of the night sky masks a universe of almost unimaginable power and destruction in which a thousand pairs of stars collide.